Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. If you're not currently affiliated with a community, church, or synagogue, and would like to be part of the larger Beth Emanuel family, you can apply for long-distance membership at BethEmmanuel.org slash membership. Moses spent 40 days on Mount Sinai receiving the instructions for the tabernacle. The Lord told him, Have them make a holy place for me, so that I may dwell among them. We soon learn that this sanctuary, this holy place where God intends to dwell, is to be called the Tent of Meeting, Ohel Moed. Hashem says to Moses, The Tent of Meeting, where I will meet with you, Exodus 30:36. We read chapter after chapter of instructions for the construction of this amazing holy place, all in anticipation of the culmination of God's desire to dwell among his people. But then, our Torah portion this week surprises us by telling us that Moses already had one. He already had a tent for meeting with God, and he called it the Tent of Meeting. Listen to this. The Torah says, Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the Tent of Meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the Tent of Meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Exodus 33, 7-11 This puzzles me, and it seems a little bit anticlimactic. If Moses already had a tent of meeting, where God appeared to him and spoke to him face to face, for what did he need to spend 40 days on Mount Sinai receiving the instructions for building a tent of meeting? I mean, if you've already got a tent of meeting, why build another one? But even if you decide you need a better one, couldn't God have simply given Moses those instructions in the comfort of his own already existing tent of meeting? Why up on the mountain? I thought that the objective of the tabernacle was to create a dwelling place in which the dwelling presence of God could take up residence. But it says here, when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. It sounds like Moses is bringing down the divine presence just fine already. It looks like Moses has his own personal tabernacle set up. And it requires no priesthood, no altar, no sacrifices, no holy furnishings, no incense. It's really far more efficient than the one proposed on Mount Sinai. I was speaking about this with my brother Steve earlier this week, and he pointed out how this private tent of meeting fits in the narrative and fits with the idea of the favor that Moses has found in God's eyes. If we look at this passage about Moses' own personal tent of meeting as it appears in the context of the story, it appears in a critical spot in the narrative. Here's what's happening. Up on Mount Sinai, Hashem concludes the instructions for building the tabernacle and says, Moses, 
Those people that you brought up out of Egypt have made an idol and worshipped it. Go down there and don't bother me so that I can destroy them in my wrath. Then I'll fulfill my promises by making you into a great nation. Moses objects to this plan. He says, why are you angry with your people? And he argues against this plan of wiping out the nation. He says, remember the promises that you made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Besides, what would the Egyptians think if you did that? So the Lord relents. Moses descends the mountain and deals with the idol and the people. And then he continues his conversation with God. He says to God, you were right. This people sinned a great sin. They made a golden idol. Please forgive their sin. But if you won't, then blot me out of the book of life. God says, I'll blot out the ones who sinned, not you. Then he commands Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt. Exodus 33 verse 1. He tells Moses to take them through the wilderness to Canaan, but he makes it clear that he isn't going to be coming with. He says, they will have to go without me. I'll send my angel with you. But if I was to allow my presence to come along with this stubborn people for even a single moment, I would end up destroying them. It's at this point in the conversation that we learn about Moses' tent of meeting. Its placement here in the story is intended to explain to us how Moses is having this conversation with God. He's not up on the mountain any longer standing in the presence of God, so where is he having this discussion? In his private tent. Moreover, the discussion resumes after the Torah completes this aside about Moses meeting with God in the tent. Over the course of the chapter, There's a significant amount of back and forth, during which Moses is also relaying God's messages to the people. For example, it says, When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. Exodus 33 verse 4. So there's this back and forth that's happening over the course of a long period of time. In Deuteronomy, when Moses retells the story of the conversation, he tells us that it took a full 40 days. There are 40 days between the day that Moses came down the mountain and the day that he goes back up the mountain. And during these 40 days, Moses was fasting the entire time. The day on which he first came down the mountain, broke the tablets, and destroyed the idol was Tammuz 17, a fast day on the Jewish calendar. And the day on which he came down the mountain the second time was Yom Kippur, another fast day. On that day, Moses returned to his private tent of meeting, and we read, Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. Exodus 34.34 In total, Moses undertook three subsequent 40-day fasts. Based upon its position in the story, we are meant to understand that Moses pitched this private tent of meeting outside the camp and set it up outside the camp only after he heard God tell him to leave and take the people to Canaan, but to go without him. The Lord says to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, 
but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Exodus 33, 1-3. It wasn't that he already had a tent of meeting. Instead, he took his inspiration for the concept from the vision he had received on the mountain. He went outside the camp and created this space in which he could meet with God outside the camp because it was too dangerous for God's presence to dwell in the camp. The Lord said, if I go with them for even a single moment, I will destroy them. So Moses needs to meet with God, but he has not been invited back up the mountain. Instead, he's been told to depart for Canaan, but he doesn't depart for Canaan. God told him, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of Egypt. But Moses refuses to go. He doesn't depart. Instead, he remains at Sinai, negotiating with God in this tent outside the camp. This is because he does not dare to meet with God inside the camp of Israel, among the tribes, lest God's wrath smite the people. Moses is protecting the people from the presence of the Lord by setting the tent up outside the camp. He spends 40 days negotiating with God inside that tent, and Joshua is with him. But it's not God's tent. It's not God's dwelling place. Instead, it belongs to Moses. It says that when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. This teaches us that God's divine presence is descending only for the sake of Moses, but he does not remain in the tent. One might say, it's not that Moses goes to the tent to meet with God as much as God goes to the tent to meet with Moses. Thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Exodus 33.11 Moreover, we learn that anyone seeking Hashem was also able to come out to this tent. It says, Everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. But it was only when Moses went out to the tent of meeting that the presence of the Lord would descend upon it and speak with Moses. Rashi explains that people going out to the tent to seek the Lord would be able to speak with Moses there, but they did not have direct conversation with God in the way that Moses did. Instead, they sought Hashem through conversation with Moses. Citing Midrash Tanhuma, Rashi says that, From here we see that one who seeks the presence of an elder is like one who receives the presence of the Shekinah, the dwelling presence. Moses functioned as the intermediator. This paints in my mind the image of the Chassid going to his Rebbe for Yechidut, a private one-on-one conversation during which the disciple asks his Rebbe for practical advice, direction, prayer, blessing, and spiritual input. It's a practice. These private spiritual consultations with a tzaddik, a righteous person, or with with one's spiritual father, come into the forefront, so far as I know, with the disciples of the Balsham Tov, but it's surely much older than that. It was common in all the Hasidic courts. Especially around holy days, the Rebbe would receive his disciples one at a time and inquire into their affairs and bestow them with his blessing and advice. And a person could schedule a meeting. These private meetings were called Yechidut, Oneness.
For example, a person considering starting a business would first go to his Rebbe to ask for his counsel and solicit his blessing. A person considering a matrimonial match would go to his or her Rebbe for input and blessing to proceed or not. A couple wanting to conceive a child would go to their Rebbe to ask his blessing. When someone was in need of healing, one might go to the Rebbe to ask him to pray on the sick person's behalf. Whatever problem a person had, the solution was always the same. Ask the Rebbe. The Chassid went to the meeting expecting to receive more than just sagacious counsel of his Rebbe. He or she expected to receive God's own words and blessing through the agency of the Rebbe. For that reason, a person preparing for Yechidut might undertake a season of prayer and fasting in preparation for the meeting. At one time, it was common for Hasidim to immerse in a mikvah before the meeting. They approached the private meeting with a sense of awe and expectation because they anticipated encountering the Almighty in the person of the Rebbe. There are stories of Hasidim pouring out their hearts to their Rebbe, weeping in his presence as if pouring out their hearts in prayer before the Almighty. Not that they regard him as God. I'm not saying that the Hasid would pray to the Rebbe. It was just a conversation, but the Hasid believed that the Rebbe had the Holy Spirit of prophecy upon him and that his words would be uttered in a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, a word of faith. They saw the Rebbe as God's representative in the conversation. In his days, the Lubavitcher Rebbe was famous for conducting these private meetings with anyone who sought him, not just his disciples, not just Lubavitchers, not just Hasidim. People would have to book the appointment months in advance, sometimes six months in advance or more, And the meeting would probably be scheduled for 2 a.m. because the Rebbe would conduct these appointments, meeting with dozens of people one after another all night long. Heads of state and politicians, powerful leaders and businessmen sought meetings with him to receive his counsel and his blessing. But he just as readily met with the common person. Everyone who met with him left with the sense that they had just experienced something divine and transcendent. The Rebbe looked into their souls and spoke to them with spiritual insight that challenged them, directed them, and elevated them. People spoke of miracles in their lives that came about as the result of those meetings. When I think about what that must be like, I feel jealous. It makes me wish that we had our Rebbe here today. I wish I could schedule a meeting like that with him. Imagine if it were possible. What if Yeshua who is the prophet like Moses, was actually physically present and you could request a private meeting with him. How would you prepare for the meeting? What would you ask him? What would you say to him? On what things would you ask your Rebbe to bestow his blessing? It's well known that I once had the absurd idea of putting an office for him here at Beth Emanuel. The idea was to reserve one office for our master. We would remodel it and furnish it with the best furniture, the best office furniture we could afford, and stock it with the best collection of holy books we could afford, and put in a beautiful desk at which he alone was allowed to sit. In front of the desk, we would put a chair where a person seeking yachidut with him could come and sit and speak with him. 
The idea was that this would be his office at Beth Emmanuel, and that when he comes again, he might utilize it as his North American office. In truth, it didn't seem practical because I don't expect him to ever leave the Holy Land. The Midrash says that Isaac could not leave the Holy Land after being offered as a sacred burnt offering on Mount Moriah because an animal designated for the altar is holy. So I don't expect our master will be taking any tours of North America when he returns. Instead, we will go to him. You will have to make a trip to Jerusalem to meet with him in his office in the rebuilt Davidic palace. What will you ask of him? What will you tell him? What will that conversation be like? Midrash Tanhuma says that, while Moses was in his private tent of meeting, the angels in heaven would inquire, where has the dwelling presence gone? Their companions would reply, look in the tent of Moses. Perhaps even the angels had to go to the tent of Moses for Yechidut. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, the people would see him going. Rashi says the tent was 2,000 amot from the edge of the camp, a Sabbath day's walk, so that one could come and go on the holy day. When the people saw Moses walking out to his private tent of meeting, they stood to their feet and turned toward the tent because they knew that the divine presence would descend upon it. It says, And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise and worship each at his tent door. Then Moses would go in and speak to the Lord face to face in private prayer, as our master teaches, When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and speak to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will hear you and reward you. This teaches us that we should have a place of prayer to which we retire to seek the Lord and to pour out our hearts. And we can do so in the merit and virtue of our Master, Yeshua, praying in His name, understanding that through Him our prayers acceptance gain. Not only should we designate appointed times for prayer, but also appointed places. A private prayer closet, so to speak, on the one hand, can be your tent of meeting, but also this very sanctuary, the synagogue sanctuary itself, is a designated tent of meeting, so to speak, a place for meeting with God. But the private meetings in Moses' tent outside the camp were not the ideal situation. The objective was to move the nexus of this relationship inside the camp of Israel. The goal was for Hashem to dwell within the camp among His people so that people can draw near to Him directly. The ceremonies and sacrifices of the Levitical system are safeguards that will be put in place to make that possible. When we get to Leviticus, we'll read about all the boundaries and ceremonial atonements and sacrifices conducted to protect the priesthood and the worshipers and the nation and anyone who wants to draw near to God and also to protect the tabernacle itself. None of that is yet in place. So Moses has moved this temporary tent of meeting outside of the camp. How is it that Moses had this relationship? What was the greatness of Moses that God came to meet with him? The Torah tells us that the greatness of Moses was his great humility. The book of Bamidbar says, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. Numbers 12.3 
And therefore, Hashem says, He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Numbers 12, 7 and 8. The sages interpreted this, all the other prophets saw their visions as if in a dim and tarnished mirror, but Moses saw clearly as one who sees his reflection in a polished and clear mirror. Paul says, though now we see in a mirror dimly, in the kingdom we will see clearly face to face. Now we know only in part, but in the kingdom we will know fully, even as we have been known. How did Moses attain all this? In short, God really liked Moses. This is what it comes down to. After the Torah interrupts the conversation to tell us about Moses' special tent, it resumes with Moses saying, Look, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. Exodus 33.12 What does it mean to find favor in someone's sight? Modern Hebrew uses this idiom to mean that someone likes you. For example, I like ice cream. In modern Hebrew, there's two ways to say that. I could say, I love ice cream, or I could say, ice cream finds favor in my eyes. This is also the same Hebrew word, chen, and turn of phrase that we translate into the New Testament as grace. This is what grace means. The grace of God is the like of God. One who finds God's grace finds that God likes him. The Lord told Moses, You have found favor in my sight. Exodus 33.12 In other words, he said to Moses, I like you. Moses complained that if he had truly found favor in God's sight, if God really liked him, why was God abandoning him? by telling him to lead the people to Canaan without his presence. If you liked me, you wouldn't tell me to depart and to lead this people without you. The Lord replied, My presence shall go with you, Moses. With you, but not with them. Because he likes Moses. Moses refuses the offer. He refuses to separate himself from the people. He begs, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. Exodus 33:15. He cleverly identified himself with the whole nation of Israel so that if God was going to treat him with any, any favor, he must also treat the whole nation with the same favor. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us, I and your people? Exodus 33:16. In other words, he says, how will anyone know that you like me, me and your people, if you don't go with us? So if God intended to show favor to Moses, he was going to have to show that same favor to the people of Israel too. The Lord agreed to extend his favor for Moses to the whole nation. I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Exodus thirty-three seventeen. At that point in the story, the Lord forgives the nation for the sin of the golden calf and makes a new covenant with the children of Israel, and he reveals his essential character to Moses on Mount Sinai. He declares that he is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, 
and sin. Exodus 34, 6-7. The Hebrew word translated in the 13 attributes as gracious is a form of the same Hebrew word for favor. God showed favor to the nation, not because they merited his favor, but because he liked Moses, and Moses shared God's favor with the nation. This story explains how the Jewish people found forgiveness for sins in Old Testament days, not through sacrifices and not through legalism, but through God's grace. They found forgiveness because God is gracious. The story also demonstrates that grace is not an unmerited gift. Moses did merit God's favor when he interceded on behalf of a guilty nation. Most importantly, the story illustrates how the grace of Messiah functions. As the only begotten Son, Yeshua already enjoyed the immense favor of God. The voice of the Jordan River declared from heaven, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Yeshua already enjoyed God's favor before he suffered. But 1 Peter 2.20 says, If when you do what is right and suffer, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Through his righteous life and his undeserved suffering, Yeshua merited even more favor in God's eyes, so much favor that he has an abundance to share. When Yeshua's disciples identify themselves with him, he identifies himself with us, just as Moses identified with the people of Israel, saying, I and your people. Yeshua brings us under the favor he enjoys from the Father. God likes us because he likes Yeshua. And we can seek God in our master Yeshua today. We don't need to wait until the second coming to find Yechidut with him. His spirit dwells within his disciples and we are bound up together in him. When we assemble as the body of Messiah, his presence is in our midst. And when we study his words and his teachings in the New Testament, we hear his voice as he says, my sheep will hear my voice. For us, he is like Moses, who assembles that private tent of meeting outside of the camp, through whom we can seek God. This is alluded to in the story itself, where it says that Moses came and went from that tent of meeting, traveling back and forth. But it says regarding Yehoshua, whose name is also Yeshua, when Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. Our master Yeshua departs not from the presence of the Lord. Take on my yoke and learn from me and find rest for your soul. 